Yes, hello, folks. Welcome to the weekly Matches Native podcast. I'm host, as always, Phil Brown. John Brown, join with my regular co host, the excellent James Rhodes, on the back of what was a galactical performance against Newport in the FA Cup. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was waiting to see which vocabulary word you'd bust out for the performance there. Oh, and I, thought, right. I thought that was a good one. <laughs> you know, straight, straight out of Eden, that oh, that's top drawer stuff, right? <laughs> um, but uh, no, actually, uh, four two, um, most important thing was to win. Uh, but it seems like there's never an easy game for Manchester United. Um, lots to talk about. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about some of the news, probably, of course, Marcus Riceford, um, you know, and some of the other things. We won't talk to you about Anthony Martial's injury, um, Guardiola getting a bit snippy. Uh, we'll talk about some of the speculation, Michael Lisa, possibly. Um, you know, it'd be linked with a young midfielder, again, Bilal El Kunas, an 18 year old, um, and uh, one or two other things. So, um, First of all, mate, how you doing? Pretty good. Good Monday. Good to get through all of this. I think it, some of it will be pretty uh, cathartic. Yeah, but... it felt like it just mentioned last play. It really did. It, I, that two weeks felt like I, you kind of almost forget the season is ongoing with yeah. everything that's happened and everything that's continuing to happen. It's it's been uh, it's been kind of odd, hasn't it? Has so they play Newport County away, uh, a game yep. that um, you know we're expected to win, expected to win comfortably. Um, I'm not defending United in any way here, but there's a couple of things that I want to say. Um, because I felt sometimes the coverage is a bit disrespectful. United should win this game, no question. But what people need to understand, and a lot of people do understand it, but some people don't, the lower leagues, even in baseball, out here, triple A or whatever, they're are lots of players at that level that are good enough to play in Major League Baseball, but for whatever reason, maybe they don't have the discipline or there's something going on in their personal life or so that just prevent them. Maybe they don't get the right breaks. Who knows? At New see at League One, there is a lot of very good footballers that aren't consistent. Right? Consistency is the hardest thing to get in life. Um, and then you know, there, there's players that were you know, playing Premier League, academies and stuff that are done there. And plus, it's filled with a lot of big physical ex-pros that will put it on kids. And I remember watching United against Wrexham, who, of course, the same level, uh, over the summer. And one of the things that really stood out was how physical they were with the likes of Mabry and stuff. So I think it's difficult. Um, it's the United should still win the game. But um, sometimes you have to give Newport some credit too. Yeah, you do. Um, I think down there, obviously, you're going to have teams that want to get up for it. Now, interestingly, I felt that the first 20 minutes, they were a bit shell-shocked, Newport. They, mm-hmm. they, yeah. they seemed like they were, weren't were really playing at all. And after they went down 2-0 and, and they got that kind of uh, goal from nowhere, the deflected shot that was uh, just a rocket, but it was a huge deflection, a very unlucky goal to concede for United. It kind of came to life a bit, but it is kind of crazy. You know, I, I give them credit for sure. Uh, and they obviously have some talented players and individuals and all that. I think the problem, of course, is that for United, it's it doesn't really matter who the opposition is. Yeah, you're it? right. It's, yeah. it's the same problems, the same issues that come out of halftime, give up a goal right away. Um, mm, they, yeah. they get shell-shocked in return. And I'm not saying that those players that, you, you know, like you said about the players is true at the same time. It's almost inexcusable for a team of United's stature to be stunned, shocked, or otherwise thrown off their game in any way mentally by a team that far down the table. They're, they just can't allow it. You, you, you can't, you can't as a team say, "Well, man, they, they scored a few and get thrown off your game and kind of be trying to get frustrated and figure it out." I mean, it's you know you have the quality to win. You know you have the better team you know you have to win it is that the mental fragility of the team is is almost incredible when you think about some of the players who are on that pitch as well uh which i'm sure we'll talk about a few yeah. of them because but it's it's very strange to me I, like here's the thing about these games you can't give the other team life and yeah. this is a big pivotal moment was obviously the moment where Granato hits the bar. 
And you always have to guard against a deflection going in off somebody's arse, lifting the crowd and putting the yeah. team back in the game. But United should have the resilience to deal with that. Yeah. Right? I mean, how many times have we seen this happen to United? They'll concede a goal and then all of a sudden they'll concede a second goal. And you know, they and we've heard Ten Hag talk about this about how we should be able to handle that, right? At yeah. Premier League level, should be able to handle that at League One level. And you know, some of the things that I, I concern me is when you hear Bruno Fernandes singling people out saying a 2 0, we all everyone wanted a goal, and it's it's not a hanging offense that Gonacho doesn't shoot and hits the bar, right? Um mm-hmm. He's still young, right? And so these are the types of things you get with young players. We were talking about Marcus Rashford's biggest weakness being decision making eighteen months ago, right? Yeah. So, so it's not you know it's not um, you know it's not something that's totally unexpected. But what was obvious there, James, was the visible frustration of Hoyland and other United players were they were really starting to get angry. At Garnacho and the refusal of United wingers to put the ball in early, which undoubtedly is uh, is is a major reason why United are so poor in front of goal. It is, it is, and and obviously we'll get to to Rashford and some of the situation in a minute. But um, for much of this season, especially the last six to eight weeks, I think he's one of the few players who has been feeding passes to Rasmus Hoyland when he gets a chance to yes. and pass them to him. And uh, and it's something that I think because of, understandably, the current frustration over other issues that people are uh, ignoring a little bit about his game. But he's been, he's been uh, almost too unselfish because his goal scoring has been very um, poor this season. You know, his confidence in front of goal as a shooter has been pretty bad, but he's been passing quite a lot. And it is something you want to see more of from the other wingers. You know, you really do. You want to see more of it from the other wingers, uh, Garnacho. But but it'll happen. It it, it, it will come from, from players like Garnacho. I, I understand. I mean, at Garnacho's age, most wingers are score first, and they, they barely look for the pass. And it's like it's the thing they've got to add to their game that they have to really focus on you know, working in and and he will. And I think interestingly in the prior games, when he played from the right, he did it a lot more. The angles were different for shooting. Mm-hmm. So he looked for more of the pass and I thought it was better. And then interestingly, Anthony's assist, his first mm-hmm. one of the season comes from the left, mm-hmm. comes from cutting to the left. What are doing? It back. Yeah. Puts it in early, low cross in and a goal. It's like, it, it's, it's kind of, you know, anyway, yeah. There's a lot of obviously. There's a, there's a lot of reasons why, but but there was there was a moment I think everybody caught it where where Hoyland by the end of the game was actually screaming at Arcanacho after one of the possessions about not passing the ball in, and uh, it is frustrating. But you know, players aside, when is it going to change? I guess why, why is it not? You know, when you're playing with a striker like Hoyland, he's been there some time now. It still seems very limited. The the patterns of play to help get him on the ball and get him chances in the box. Um, there's only so much he can do, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. If you look at his last few goals, the goal against Villa comes from a corner. That yep. The goal against Spurs comes from not having the ball scored to him. Rashford sort of losing yeah. control of the ball. Like a block shot, sort of, yeah. And the goal yesterday, of course, similar. Yep. Um, but the positive is, He's now starting to score in succession. Um, yes, he's now starting to get a bit of run in yes against Newport, but that's going to help him in terms of his confidence because when you've seen United have these two week breaks, previous international breaks and stuff, any momentum that they gained before was always lost. Um, so that's going to be really important for Rasmus Hoyland that he's now scoring with some consistency. Yeah, it is absolutely it is, and I mean, he need that. I mean. He was getting chances earlier in the year, but missing quite a few yeah. of them. Um, not a lot of chances, mind you, but he was missing them. He, there was no doubt he should have scored more goals earlier in the season. But now he's finishing them. He's getting a chance, and he's taking it when he's when he's getting those chances. And that's important. I think I think being clinical, something United need desperately from one of their forwards is to to really finish chances at a high rate. And he's doing that. And and if he can get a few chances a game, you know, 
you can start counting on him just to score. And, and I think that's really big for him, but it's like you said as well, it's a confidence factor too, because he's obviously a talented kid. He's very physical. He's very fast. He's got a lot of potential and a lot of tools. Um, and so sometimes it really is just sorting the mental side of it. And there's a lot of pressure coming into United to be the starting striker, given the situation. The other positives were, of course, Cubby Manning scores. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exceptional. You know, I, I love watching this kid play. I, I just mm. he's just uh, a brilliant young footballer, and he has so much that you can coach. Yeah. Um, that is natural. So he scores. Anthony scores, of course. Um, I know that that goal looks like it happened, but that ball comes at him relatively decent speed on his right foot. Right, takes it, scores. He needs a goal badly. I don't want to see any United player fail. I would love for Anthony to shove all my criticism down my throat, go on an amazing run between now and the end of the season and find his form. Um, so they United have played a, a behind-closed-doors game leading up to this against Burnley, lost the game 3-1. Anthony scored a penalty in that game. Um, they were 3-0 down after 10 minutes in that game. Uh, mm-hmm. So Burnley have done the double. By the way, I, 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 I was listening to some of the coverage on that and the excellent talk of the Devils podcast. So, um, But uh, the interesting that... Uh, you know, they obviously trying to get some match fitness for Casemiro, for Martinez, which is another big positive from yesterday. But uh, how much do you think this is going to help Anthony with, I mean, people say it's Newport, but to him it's a, it's a competitive game of football. I try, I, I try to be unbiased, but frankly, I don't know it makes much of a difference, and I'll say why. Uh, it's good for confidence, but I don't think that's the problem. Uh, Anthony's had two good performances this season or better performances this season. One of them was against Newport and one of them was in the Champions League, I believe. Yeah. His problem is he's not quick enough or strong enough for the Premier League and nothing's really going to change that. So when he plays against a bit lower opposition, which he'd be more used to playing uh, from Ajax, more on a week-in, week-out basis, you're playing against fullbacks you're faster than, you're quicker than, you're stronger than, and you're more mm-hmm. talented than. And you can kind of cheat by bringing yourself up in a career based on that. It happens to players in the Bundesliga a lot too. You saw it with Jaden Sancho. You come into the Premier League, and you're no longer faster, stronger, or quicker than all of your fullbacks, all your opponents you're facing. It happens with wingers and forwards so often. And you struggle because you've a big part of your game has always been that. And when Anthony has been able to beat his opponents on the ball, he performs well. And he's talented. And, and he has the ability when he can beat his opponents on the ball. He can't beat his opponents in a primary league. He, he really rel- – like – We've seen it so many times. He goes up against the fullback. They know exactly what he's going to do. He can't beat them. That's that. That's the problem. And 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 so it's a bit of an overarching concern there because I think it's more to the point that he has to change his game rather than just gain confidence. He's got to change the way that he plays to where it's not reliant on, you know, kind of isolating against the fullback and then trying to quickly get around them or cut inside and shoot. It just doesn't work. Even, even that part of his game against Newport wasn't successful. He tried to, quite a few times, cut inside, shoot, cut inside, shoot. And it, it was very, uh, it was poor. And the, the shots, I think, were pretty much all off the target. But so it's, it's more, it, it's good that he's producing. Uh, it's good that he's adding something to it. Um, but it doesn't, I think, change the fact that there's very little to say we don't need a right winger who's better than that moving forward uh, to be competitive in the Premier League. Um, which, okay. I, well, I guess I would say Garnacho was a lot better on the right wing, even in that performance. I much preferred Garnacho's last few games at right wing. Uh, um, let me that. ask you two yeah. other quick questions. Uh, Bayern Deer's performance. Um, it was the first time we got a look at him. You know, he conceded two goals. I'm not sure you could blame him on either of them. Um, you, could, you saw him play with his feet a little bit. Uh, one or two nervy moments, but um, I would want to get your opinion. And, of course, the, the uh, Mas, uh, Martinez, Casemiro, and Shaw return. Um, big plus for United. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I liked Bayandir. I, I thought he was decent. The thing I think was most positive, he was pretty safe with his hands. Uh, when he would catch the ball, he was, or he would go to claim a cross or claim a, a high ball or something, he would pretty much, he caught it. He was quite safe with it. Onana's had some very weird moments with that, kind of putting the ball back into play off of his hands at times. Uh, it's been a weird start to things for Onana, who of course also has now, cra they crashed out of the F, uh, out of AFCON. They're out of the, the, the cup there. He was benched the last two games. He stayed extra late. Really weird situation. I'm not sure that's all been very good for him. Uh, and it's been quite a distraction, I think, for him. So uh, obviously well, he'll be starting again. In a Cameroon for his cousin. I didn't What's that? Like Onana was dropped in, the, in Cameroon oh, really? for his cousin. So I didn't know that either. either. I didn't know that either. I was just looking, doing research on it last night. And they were saying that it was it's he was replaced by his cousin in goal, so it was quite interesting. Yeah, so probably not great for him, but he he's going to get a starting spot back. I mean, apparently he's going to start right away at Wolves, which is no big surprise. risk for Ten Hag because you know Ten Hag's job is on the line here, and uh, he really has to have complete confidence in the players that he puts in because um, if Onana costs him again. I mean, if you look at United's goals from set pieces, 24% of their goals this season have come from set pieces that they've conceded. That's a quarter of yeah. the goals they're conceding are coming from set pieces. This is something that um, United should be able to fix on the training ground or not. Um, and when you look at the other stats in the games, you know, 21 goals, uh, 20, 24 goals, 21 games. That's per the average 51.8% possession in the Premier League. That means how that means they're not really dominating games and dominating possession. And in the Champions League, it's worse. It was for, they were averaging 45.9% possession in the Champions League against Galatasaray, Copenhagen, yeah. Copenhagen. So um, this is a this is a big big concern about how they. Um, uh, but they need to impose themselves on games. And listen to the stats. Yeah, McTominay mm -hmm. has a better pass completion rate than Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised about that. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes plays a bit more forward, but yeah. I yeah, of course. So, so his, uh, his you know, <laughs> final balls, it's definitely possible to see someone, but yes. Yeah, let's know. talk about that too. One of the, because you just asked, because I want to talk about Casemiro. Um, because I have a couple of complaints a little bit about some uh, two things, and it's it's been highly noticed. You know, when Casemiro and Kali Manu played together, I was expecting them to form a very solid, deep partnership where they're both at their strongest. And instead, I mean, I know he scored a goal, which is a very big positive, Kali Manu scoring his first goals uh, as a senior United player. But he was so far forward most of the game. It was not how he's been playing recently. It's not where he is at his best. He's an incredibly talented player, so he made it look good, and he was making good decisions, and he still got such quality on the ball. But it, it continues to be so strange how there's. it's like we cannot get away from this midfield that ends up with these massive gaps where two players are all the way up and one of them sitting deep. Mm. I don't think it plays to Kabi Manu's strengths to do that. I don't think that's plays to the strengths of the players that we have to do that. Uh, so that's one thing. Casemiro's pass percentage as the deepest midfielder was horrific as well. It was really bad. It was like in the 50s for the first half. I think he ended like 66, 68%, something like that. Um, but more concerning to me, I know he's just back from injury, but he looks kind of – he looks – off the pace against Newport. He looks unfit physically. He has since summer and he's had a few injuries. He looks much, much slower. Um, you know, he's always fouled a bit m much anyway, but he would, he had a quite a few moments where he clearly just fouled because he couldn't keep up with a player. Uh, even the first goal that they scored, he was completely out muscled on the jump for the ball that fell to the player that ended up scoring a goal off the deflection. I don't see the cast. It's like, I literally do not see with my eyes, the Casemiro of last year uh, at, at United. And, and that is a bit concerning. I think we've all kind of figured he's probably, I maybe he's going to depart in summer for Saudi or somewhere like that. But 
I mean, what what do you th- what's your take on this? Because I just I don't think, see you know, him at a level he's been at. I, I don't want to judge him on yesterday because you know we clearly not much fit. Um, if you look at him from the start of the season, you know, yes, you can have legitimate concerns. But I covered this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, where I spoke to an individual that. Uh, played professional football, played for Manchester United, uh, had a 15-year professional football career that is um, renowned for his tactical knowledge and how he breaks down games. And what he said to me is it was based, that, that one of the reasons why they're so exposed is because of the gaps between the defence and the midfield and the front. Yeah. Like when the front line presses, the defence drops off. So there's big gaps in the midfield. So... Which is bizarre to me because, like I said before, you know, United had the best defensive home record in the league last season. Why are they now doing something completely different? But um, so I, I don't know. But I think again, when we talk about Ten Hag, if he's going to see his job, he's going to need the best Casemiro, yeah. and because uh, he was such a crucial part to United last season. I mean, you go back, James. Last season, you know, it's big games. Casemiro showed up. He showed up away at Chelsea. He showed up in the League Cup. You know, yep. away to Bournemouth when United needed to go, leaving Chelsea at home. You know, he was yep. so integral to United last season. And he, you know, and yes, he was poor the start of the season, but he was he was scoring goals. He was scoring important goals. Um, so I don't know how Ten Hag fixes this. Uh, what did concern me is the fact that someone that understands football is attributing some of United's mistakes and, and, and vulnerabilities, not to injuries, not to off the field, but yeah. to high committed of setup. And, um, you know, undeniably, United once again conceding within two minutes of the restart. This is just way too consistent. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, but you, well, uh, if you have anything else to say on that, let me know. We'll move on. With some, you know, no, but... that's not too much else for the, for the Cup. Obviously, uh, I think it was a very strong lineup. I w- wish we hadn't come away from it feeling maybe less confident than beforehand but uh you know obviously there'll probably be a pretty similar lineup against wolves and we'll get a another picture of how this works out in the premier league on thursday well let's get to that because one of the main talking points of course was marcus rashford and uh marcus um doing something that uh was ill-advised um yeah. marcus uh of course went to belfast uh went out wednesday and thursday um there's a couple of things i would think were pretty um uh her judgment on marcus's part uh obviously his friend was sean williams sent for an Irish league club called lauren and uh, i went over there i spoke to people um who were involved in that and they could not speak highly enough of Rashford. They said he was yeah. exceptional, you know, spent time with the players, the young players, of course, you know, they idolized him and the club were um, quite angry. A lot of the stuff would come out, really. Um, nonetheless, this is, looks really bad on Marcus. Mm-hmm. And they were off for a week. Um, if he'd have went over the week before, fine. Um, I'm, you know, from what I understand, they were off Wednesday. Wednesday was a rest day. Again, a lot of this information, uh, the coverage of this coming from Laurie Whitwell and Talk of Devils. He broke it down well. I was listening to it yesterday. Some of it I, I, I know myself, um, having yeah. contacts in Belfast. But um, So I'm not sure you know, I would have been thrilled with him even being there on the Wednesday. Um, you know, And the thing is, James, there's no anonymity for Marcus Rashford in Belfast. He'd be one of the most immediately recognized faces. I mean, this is like a Yankees player going out in the Bronx. You yeah. have no expectation of anonymity. So I really don't understand why Marcus would do something like this, mislead the club, think it's going to remain... Um, you know, that will be sufficient. This is not going to come out. Um and, and why he'd make these choices. This is a guy that has been trying to prove that he doesn't have an attitude issue, that, um, you know, that the problem isn't him. I like, I really like Marcus Adu. Um This is stupid on his part. Uh, it does not look good. I think what he should do is he should come out and apologize. He should come out and say, I got it wrong. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this and take the responsibility away from the club. If human beings admit error, most people are forgiven, right? Because yeah. others are perfect. But Ten Hag's in a difficult situation. 
Uh, notably, he did not cover it publicly in the same way that he did Jaden Sancho. And you and I have said in the past, well, certainly I believe that Ten Hag made a mistake by going public on Jaden Sancho. I think he yeah. should have done that internally and not went public on it because then it forces a different situation. Ten Hag does not have the ability to go public with Rashford because they have no alternative. I mean, they can't send a striker. He's limited to what he can do. Um, he has to discipline him. Rashford could mm-hmm. miss the game against Wolves away for the second year in a row because of disciplinary issues. Ten Hag was obviously very angry about it yesterday. Um, and uh, I just... It, to me, whether Ten Hag's there or not, the rule that Rashford broke is not contingent upon who your manager is. That is a fundamental rule of the football club. Yeah, for sure. And and I think we were talking about that because I've said before, even with Jaden Sancho, it's the type of thing I feel is above the manager to deal with. I think it's almost unfair to make it a problem for the manager. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not their babysitter. They're not the manager's job is not to rule over these players' personal lives. Um and to control them constantly all the time or anything like that. You know, you have many instances at clubs where the players are there beyond multiple managers, Uh, small clubs, middle clubs, big clubs, happens all the time. Players are there for multiple managers. Very often they play for multiple managers over the course of their career. It's not about the manager. It is about the club. It's about what the club rules are for the players, what the, what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do, the type of discipline and the type of standards that need to be maintained by a football club, as you would with any organization. You know, if you were in a, in a, in a section of a business as an employee, it wouldn't be on the middle manager to determine whether you showed up for work or not. It's going to be on other people. uh, Yeah. We've all had the night out and phoned in sick the next day. Responsibility comes at a certain level where, yeah. you know, you know that, that you, it's different if you're doing it, you know, in an office job or okay, you know, yeah. but I think at that level, yeah. it would have been more professionalism. He, it was bad. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. And I think that there's a lot more that players get up to that people don't oh. know about. That is probably significantly worse, including United players, including other United players. There's many that have had discipline issues that, have not been covered because they have not done so as a, you know, sometimes you say the crime is getting caught and and that was part of it with Rashford too. But the biggest factor is he didn't show up for training. That for me is, is a, is sort of the paramount to it is that, you know, I wouldn't advise you being out late. I wouldn't say it's smart. I wouldn't say I wouldn't agree with doing it. I wouldn't do it. I would say that I don't want players to do it personally. If you show up for training, you perform is different. The United players under Sir Alex did that plenty, uh, plenty. They were certainly not choir boys outside of. No, of course not. They showed up and they performed, right? Yeah, they showed up. He didn't show up, and that's a problem. That's a serious problem because you can't. Because then it, it you, you're open to everything when you don't show I, up. I, I thought he did show up, but he said he was sick. He reported apparently sick. He reported sick and didn't come in. So he called. You know, it's more like a call-in sick. You got to show up. You have to show up. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe they they often do send club doctors over to verify things like that. We don't know. They obviously don't want to discuss it uh, mm. or tell anybody about it. But it doesn't really matter. He didn't show up. And for me, that would be the, the main thing. You know, if I've got an employee, if they don't, you know, if they show up and they're a bit groggy, I can deal with it. I know if they don't show up on Monday morning, why? I know why. You know, it's there's no argument anymore. It's not acceptable to me. I mean, it happens, but at a but little level, it's like the Facebook your pictures, your plotting. It's like I'll be smart. You know, I mean, I yeah, mean, exactly. This where I don't understand what Marcus was thinking, but it was it was thick. It was thick, and you know, here here's the thing about it, though. At the same time, right, is that there's um there's no excuse for that type of behavior for sure, and it has to be sorted out because he needs to do better. He should be better. Um, he should be more of a leader at United. You know, it's not hundred percent in his nature as a personality from, from all that I've gathered about him over the years to be, you know, like he's never going to be like, you know, I think about long-term players like Wayne Bruni, who not necessarily always a leader, but has a different, mm-hmm. a definitely a different personality to Marcus Rashford. I don't think he's going to be I mean, a Bruni captain. Had- 
had his, I know he had his issues. Too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you know, but Rashford, I think, uh, is the longest-standing United player at the moment, right? By by quite a bit. Um, yeah, it's got to be I mean, Luke Shaw has been here quite a while, but otherwise, you know, I think between. Well, the yeah, Shaw was brought in by Von Hall at first season, yeah. so probably similar. But, about the uh, same time. Did you see the Nicky Butt clip about Marcus? Mm-mm. So Nicky Butt, uh, I believe this was done over the weekend. Maybe I did. Oh no, no, go ahead. Yeah, which go was ahead. really, really interesting. Um, and you know, Nicky knows Marcus very well, <clears throat> and um, he was saying like, "I love Rashford. You know, I'm very loyal to him. I love him as a person. He's a great lad, and he has done a lot of amazing things off the field." He goes, "But he is not happy in his personal life. There's stuff going on with Marcus mentally." Um, and forgive me if I'm getting some of this paraphrasing it slightly incorrectly but this is what he was saying Um, and that he needs to be happy in his life, you can see that he's not happy Um, he definitely projects an error of someone that is dealing with something personally Um, you know and we do sometimes have to be careful with that where we've seen situations and by no means am I saying that they're completely symmetrical but like Dolly Alley but what we know is that players deal with things personally Um, And I'm not saying that we should always assume that, but uh, when you get someone like Nicky Butt saying that Marcus is dealing with a lot of things personally, um, what, what I wonder, James, um, is Marcus looks like a lad that may need a move, a change, a scenery. And this happens a lot. Steven Gerrard went through this at Liverpool. He ended up staying. But when you're a, when, when you're a, a homegrown player, um, it works two ways. When things are going well, you get you know shard with love. Yeah, yeah. When not, it's a very difficult place to be because yeah. you can't work, you can't do anything, you can't live a normal life, you can't blow off steam, you can't be a normal 26-year-old. I believe Marcus broke up with his girlfriend over the summer, so he wants to be a normal human being in some sense, and you do forfeit that. But he looks like someone that, you know, and, and if you listen to one that he bought in, probably he's dealing with stuff personally too. I'm sure he is. I'm sure he is. And so, you know, for me, I try to, I have, with any player, I, I, I try to stick to keeping my critiques for them as a footballer, because mm-hmm. beyond that, it gets very messy. These are individuals, these are people. And you forget with professional athletes. Yeah. They're not, I'll just say they're not like somehow magically more emotionally mature no. than your average person. In many cases, you know, they have less schooling, less, education just to the nature of having spent all their time in football it just is what it is it's that's the truth professional athletes in any sport on average you know um but, but i know it's like the fast teams even if you are or educated or exceptionally well educated deal with very difficult yeah. you do you do and and it's hard and um it is hard for anybody so i try to i try to stick to how they play as a footballer or what they do and how they perform um, and you know, that's why I say for me, it's that, and I, I love Marcus Rashford. I've defended him so many times on, on this show and elsewhere and all that is that he didn't show up for training is the biggest thing for me that, you know, he's not there to perform, to support the team, to all of that. Then you take the, then you have to take these other things and say, well, that's obviously got to be a factor in why we can put one plus one and get two and say, you're out late. You're doing this. You do that. You fly back in the morning before training, not really smart move and you don't show up. So it is what it is there. That being said, you know, obviously the discourse, I think, gets a little bit out of control. As you said, with with homegrown players, I don't know what it is about that, but especially because I've seen a lot of statements and things about, like, you know, indications that something like this means a player should be sold, means a player should, like, that's the end of their career at United, that it's – that's kind of interesting because, you know, football fans, I think, in general, tend to be pretty – pretty liberal when it comes to their their political views uh especially united fans overall and uh and then when a player does something i think they get they get pretty conservative pretty quickly when it comes to labor <laughs> and employment uh thought process you know but this is not the type of thing a player gets sacked over or should be sold for when you look at discipline and how someone is disciplined there's always two things that you are going to weigh up to it is number one um are they cognizant of having done wrong mm. will they admit doing wrong and are they apologetic towards moving forward and wanting to improve upon that 
that's for the club to decide if they are. You have a situation, take, for example, Jaden Sancho. Well, he didn't meet that first qualification for the club. He wasn't willing to move forward with the situation. Now, it makes it very different. Marcus Rashford already apologized once to Eric Ten Hag immediately upon the story of going out after uh, the Manchester Derby uh, to celebrate a birthday. And, um, and they'll deal with it internally because it's a second offense of something like that this season. Um, but that's number one. Is he willing to do that? And that's on the club to decide. And the second well, thing is, is weighing in contributions. You know, you have a really good employee who's contributed a lot over the years to you, who's done a lot. You don't say, oh, they did something. They're out of here. You weigh, you always weigh up the value. And I'm not talking financial. I'm talking the value that they bring as an individual, as a teammate, as an employee, as a part of a group um, and their contributions and say, you know, are they damaging us in excess of the positives that they have brung? And you, you kind of always have to weigh those things up in terms of how you discipline because selling a player, getting rid of somebody is a huge, huge step. Uh, I mean, it is a, it is a massive step. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, it is absolutely ridiculous to suggest that that would be or anything even close to reasonable as an outcome from something like this, unless, you know, Rashford was not willing to uh, improve upon himself in the situation. Yeah, it's all about how he responds to it. It doesn't have to be terminal if Marcus responds yeah. in the right way. He shows form, you know, between now and the end of the season. This will yeah. be forgotten about by the end of the season, you know. Yeah. But it, how, how we remember this will be determined about how yeah. Marcus responds to it. Yeah. If he responds the right way, get, you know, apologizes, I, I made a mistake, and, and, and um, you know, gets his head down, then fine, we'll move on. Yeah. Um, Couple of other things, yes. Um United will end up playing Bristol City or Forest in the next round of the FA Cup. Um Forest is would be a difficult game. It's another away game. It's a you know, I remember when we played them a few weeks ago, the Morgan Gibbs White clip of look at the faces they don't want to be there, right? Yep. Which is quite defining. Um, you know, Bristol City, the, the draw, but you would have to say has been somewhat kind to United so far in this FA Cup. And um, I'm not. I don't know if it'll be enough to save Ten Hag's job. If, um, in fact, I don't think it would. If they do not improve in the league, um, mm. I think any else will have in their mind who they want. For Ten Hag to be that man, he's going to have to convince them. They're already convinced of someone else. Yeah, um, my opinion, who would be ideal. But for Ten Hag to say, "I'm your guy." He really has to improve the second half of the season. So it wasn't enough to keep Tim, uh, uh, Van Hall in a job. Um, yeah. United, in terms of their rebuild and continue to rebuild, that Champions League revenue now does become important. Um, but uh, the draw has been somewhat kind to them. It has. It has. And, you know, if you can if you can move forward in, in the rounds and end up getting to the FA Cup to winning a final... It helps. That being said, I think I think the league form is going to be more important because part of the problem you have as a manager from the FA Cup standpoint is the finals not till what June, right? I mean, it's it's the last game of the whole year, uh, yeah. as it was last year, right? The decision is going to be made well before then. Yeah. Well before then on yeah. what happens. Yeah. And so winning or losing that isn't going to change. Yeah. yeah, it's not going to change your outcomes. It's not going to change your fortunes. Uh, so you have to improve in the league and you have to improve quick because you've got one or two games and then there's another break, right? Something like that. I don't know exactly what it is, but the, the league games are not piling up on each other right West now. Ham up next, I believe. Yeah. So you've got to win games in February. You've got to climb the mm -hmm. table. You've got to get back into, into a serious at minimum contention for the fifth and fourth spots um, by by end of February, I think. I think. If he doesn't win, if if he was to lose against Wolves West Ham, I, I, I think because that's, that's around about February March is the yeah. time we start thinking about bringing yeah. someone else in. Yeah. And I yeah. really, I, I'm, I'm not. By the way, I know there's lots of people out there supporting Hog, and I've largely been one of them. I'm not yeah. blind to certain you know faults, but um, I don't know how Jurgen Klopp being not being at Liverpool changes things. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how it affects their season, how it affects players' futures. That I mean, yeah. to me, that was odd timing for Klopp to announce it then. But uh, for Ten Hag, I think um, you know he's at a point where 
he needs to be wolves away. He's just never really, you know, they've won their last three games there, been that entertaining. They're going to have to go and win, in my opinion, against a decent Wolves side. And they're going to have to beat West Ham at home. Um, if if United are poor in either of those games and don't win them, I would be really, especially now with Casemiro back, with Martinez back, yeah. with Shaw back, yeah. you know, it's getting harder for, for Ten Hag, you know, the excuses of, you know, players being out injured and stuff is he's not going to get away with that in, in february no i mean we're pretty much going to be able to field your strongest lineup bar maybe and you rarely have a hundred percent of your players but sure. you know you're pretty much going to have your strongest lineup in the next couple of games uh there's been no further injuries as of now they're working back into match fitness you have Varan, you have glissandro you have Shaw, you have Dalo, you know, who you've chosen as your first choice right back, as far as I understand right now. You've chosen these players and you've made these decisions. And mm. so, yeah, you're going to have to get performances out of them at this point in time um, to see anything. And, and you know, yeah, there's Klopp leaving. There's there's Tuchel probably going to leave Bayern. There's Xavi who's leaving Barcelona, right? That was announced as well. He announced over the weekend. I mean, there's a big, big vacancies in managerial positions at three of the biggest clubs already that were pretty positive is going to happen. I, I'm Bayern's not confirmed, but I think everybody thinks it's going to, but what's that? I think Tuchel's going to leave too. So yeah, think... that's what I was thinking. Tuchel's oh, sorry, I didn't hear you, yeah, but... yeah. 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 I said that one's not confirmed, but I think most people expect it will happen. I have to be honest. I'm not totally sold on Thomas Tuchel. Oh, right? me neither. I, I I'm not a, a fan of Thomas Tuchel. <laughs> No, me neither. I, I, you know, I, I obviously, I think you and I both think it's probably not correct to get too much into discussing like potential future managers and things like correct. that at this time. I don't think it's fair to do that. I don't think it's right yeah. to do that. I wouldn't be super happy with Thomas Tuchel. That would not be certainly not up on my list of managers where I thought, oh yeah, that's going to be a guy who comes in and make a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd rather have Unai Emery, you know, than 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 Thomas Tuchel uh, at United. But anyway, um, yeah. What, I don't want to just back in, but what about Zavi? Yeah, he, he's an interesting one, but uh, I, don't, I don't think he'd be right as well. It's funny. Uh, I thought that with Barcelona, I mean, I know they had a bit more success, but in some ways it's gone a little bit the way it went with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer here at United. They were more successful. There's no doubt about that. But they've had an interesting time under Xavi where, you know, as a sort of an underqualified manager appointment at the time, you know, former player, all of that. Uh, it went really well. Like it was like a like a rocket ride at first, and then started to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle to the point now that they're doing pretty poorly, I think, by their standards. And and he's out the door. And it's it's kind of interesting how that has gone. But there's not a lot of top managers out there. Part of the thing that people have to understand too, you know, in terms of uh, how things change. And and so I think, but I think that does push the decision sooner because Bayern is a good job. Liverpool's a good job, and Barcelona's a good job. Manchester United could be a good job. It could be attractive under new ownership. But if you're making a change at manager, you're competing against three of the biggest clubs in Europe. Here's the thing, Dan's about uh, any of us that we have to be careful about, right? Abu Dhabi bought City in 2009. Right? It took them a good few years yeah. before they really got it right. Inevitably, any of us will make poor appointments. Yeah, totally. Young to them right so there's going to be a bit of trial and error process and all that there, um before you know they everything is synchronized and everything is great but what i would say is and we said this before you, you know united a month ago was not a job a top manager would want because for obvious reasons now you know it's a whole different job and mm -hmm. You know, I don't. I wonder how committed Guardiola is the city after winning, you know, the World Club Cup doing the travel. I just wonder is he still motivated? Um, you know, he. If you look at Klopp, Klopp has been quite snippy yeah. for about a year and a half, right? Yeah, yeah he has. Yeah. You know, Guardiola is the same way. Like Guardiola was really snippy on Friday about the whole Omar Barada thing, right? And you need to clearly get on his nerves. Right, yeah. because I think he is envious of the fact that he didn't get the credit that he's always sought at City, and um, I think uh, I just wonder how committed if if Guardiola was to go, Klopp was to go. There'd be a lot of managers out there in England going, "This would be a great time to take over United because yeah. you know the yeah. landscape is clear." Um, I think City would find it very difficult 
to replace Guardian. Oh. Um, even and, and as we've seen with PSR, you know, in January, it's not so easy now just to go out and start buying a bunch of players. You have to be much shrewder. Yeah. So um, I just, uh, you know, what did you make of Guardiola? Yeah, I, I, it's kind of, it's it's almost felt like for a year, a little bit now, that he really wanted that trouble or that at least to win the Champions League with City, yeah. right? I think that was the big thing. He, he really wanted to win that Champions League because mm-hmm. he didn't win it since Messi, right? I, I, he didn't win it as... Uh, you know, since having that, since Messi. And it felt like he really wanted that. And once he got it, there is a little bit of a feeling like, you know, there's a limit to the credit, to the, you know, to the applause you're going to get at Man City as the, as the manager of Manchester City. I think there's a limit. And I think he's running into that a little bit. And uh, he does seem a little agitated and you kind of get the impression he's like, keeps thinking about leaving. I don't know why, but I think everybody gets that impression a little bit that, you know, you know, and then he makes comments like, I'll stay for one more year. Maybe I'll extend. I don't know. And, and, you know, he is who he is, but it, it it's just, a, he is, he is odd. He is odd in how he talks and how he has commented on things recently. That does give me a similar impression. Like he's getting tired of it. Um, I don't know where he would go back to Barcelona. I don't know, you know, yeah. what he would want to do. Yeah, well, that's the only question. Where does he go? All right, yeah. let me talk to you about a couple of things about a couple yep. of United loan signings, and then we'll get into a little bit of transfer stuff. Um, yeah. Not sure if you saw what Kiki Sanchez Flores said about Hanwell Mashbury, um, but um, he was saying that. And it's hard to get context with this because I'm reading the words of whether this yeah. is. The- it's a criticism. He goes, he needs time to know what it means to play for Sevilla. He needs to take time to step back. He needs to observe. He needs to see the culture. He needs to see the players. Um, and so he played for a little bit in that drone game. He gets booked. Um, for Mabry, this has always been something where, you know, in boxing, they have a saying called controlled aggression, right? Aggression is good, but controlled. Mm aggression right and how to use it effectively Mesbury's a bit a bit rice <clears throat> you're going to get away with that even less in Spain but not a great start for Mesbury van der Beek um dragged off at halftime um in, uh, <laughs> have you seen some of the comments from the from the from the fans of there them as no well? but he uh won the win at mine dragged off at halftime 14 touches um he hasn't lasted beyond an hour in any of their other games. Um, not great for either of them. Uh, Joe Hugo, by the way, did score his debut for yeah. Burton Albion. Yeah, and, and the loans, and obviously getting good loans has been a problem. You know, Hannibal went to Birmingham City, right, last time. It was actually a good one for him. And, and I remember, because I spoke to somebody who's kind of well in, connected there. Uh, was it, is it Birmingham or was it? Oh, I was at Birmingham last season. Did I spoke okay. to uh, High Red and stuff spoke to people down there at... Uh, you could see that that loan in the championship yeah. really hurt him physically because it, he was it did. Able to with Wrexham's physicality and so yeah. I really noticed it and I, and I, I like Mesbury but um, and Sevilla makes it a difficult club to go on loan to given their situation yeah. um, for a young player but um, anyway yeah so yeah so he was he was a Birmingham yeah and because I remember initially there was a lot of the same issues about his kind of recklessness a little bit being over aggressive. And he seemed to really get under control. And there was a lot of praise for his then his technical ability, what he can provide. He's just got a bit of a unique skill set in some ways and all of that. But and he kind of built upon it. But it's it's been a challenge because he's I think it's he's really suffered from not having enough play time over the last few years as a senior yeah. player to get that aggression under control. You know, he comes off of that lone place. I thought he played a really good game. His first start that he got in that cup game, right? Um, Palace probably was. It was a really good game. And then he barely played since then. So he's had, you know, one or two games the whole season. It's not good for a young player, those no, types of situations. It just doesn't work. And then, you know, they fall back into bad habits, especially when you're trying to work him through what is 100% a bad habit. He's overaggressive. He gets himself into physical trouble at times. Um, it's a bad habit, but you're not going to work out of it not playing. You just don't. It, it's not going to – because those game situations, the heat of the moment things, you're not getting into them in training. 
you're not getting through them on the on the. You're also forcing managers to take you off. Yeah, you know, I think one of Solskjaer's worst decisions was not taking Fred off in that PSG yeah. game, right? So when I think when you're when you're getting if you're getting yellow cards for silly yeah. fouls, you know whatever, you don't think you're going to repeat that. But if you've got an aggression issue, you get a yellow card. Managers yeah. are going to take you. So, um, but uh, I, I like him, but yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, it's tough. It's, it is. It's a tough situation. It's a tough team to go to uh, all around. It's not a totally settled team, but what are you going to do? I mean. Um, yeah, it's going to be hard for him moving forward at this point if he doesn't get some consistent. If he isn't able to work himself into getting consistent game time, you know, then he's. It's going to be tough for him to have much of a future right now. Okay, let's uh, move conversation on to some transfer speculation that's been taking place across Europe. United, of course, most this is looking at the summer. Uh, first of all, I want to talk to you about potential of another striker with Hoyland. So this is a bit of a awkward position for United because do you send a striker, uh, someone like Osman, who wants to start every week? How can you take Hoyland, especially if it's a strong second half of the season? Um, but even if he doesn't, he's been starting pretty much every game and then say to him, you know what, your second season, you're not starting because you really yeah. want to do the opposite. First season, we're going to gradually build you in, but second season, then you play more. Are you setting Hoyland back? So do you go out and get um, an experienced striker that's happy to play, you know, as backup to Hoyland, or do you go out and get a top striker? What do you do? Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is this is a decision that has to be made by whoever's the director of football in, in making a decision. Where are United at right now? And what are we actually trying to do? Because if they wanted to win titles this year, if they wanted to win trophies this season, then they should have bought Harry Kane last season. They should have done everything they could have to get Harry Kane last season. Does it make sense to buy someone like that now? I don't know. Moving ahead, when you're likely having players like Rafael Varane leave, Casemiro leave, Eriksen's probably going sometime soon. You're going through kind of what needs to happen where you really should be rebuilding. And for me personally, I don't... I would love to have Osimhen... As a striker, I think he's a fantastic player. He's, he's young too. I mean, he's not like an old player either, so he's got many years ahead of him. Uh, but it, I, I don't see how it works with a player like Rasmus Hoyland. Um, I think it really depends on everywhere else, I guess. I, I think right now it would be better to have a player like Cavani, you know, when we brought Cavani mm -hmm. in to, to work with this team, to work with these young players here who are inexperienced um, and lead them and, and teach them and all of that. And I would buy a right winger a thousand percent. I would buy a right winger and I would bring in more of like a, a veteran, you know, type, like a Cavani type, you know, someone in that, in that mold to come in who was absolutely good enough to contribute, but doesn't need to start all the time and has a lot of, uh, you know, can teach them uh, many, many things. Well, be interesting to see what you need to do this summer, because obviously they could sell Sancho. Yeah. They could sell Mason Greenwood, right? Yep. Potentially sell Anthony. Um, I, you know, Anthony may be tough, but you could bring in a lot of money or with yeah. those, those couple of cents. Sancho might not help you with the FFP, but certainly, you know, a, a Mason Greenwood sale. Well, um, how do we feel about Mason Greenwood? Um, you know, he's obviously a very talented player and yeah. uh, reputationally a club in Spain could sign him. Uh, whether he's at the level where Real Madrid would sign him, I don't know. Um, there's not a lot of places you can go to outside of that. And if he's if his if his reputation will you know survive him coming back to England, you know, and I, and I understand everyone has very strong emotions on this. Maybe there's a conversation inside United saying we keep him. I'm not saying they should or running like that. I'm just yeah. saying that um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Mason. Um, and how do you even place a transfer value on him? It's going to be. Very difficult. Uh, you know, if you think about it, you know, at one point you know, they had Greenwood, Sancho, Anthony, um, uh, and uh, uh, Rashford, and they've had problems with all four of them now, you know, yeah. uh, due to their own off the field issues, which has really got nothing to do with the manager. So it'll be interesting to see. What you need to do, the other player you needed are quite heavily linked with at the minute is young Michael Olise at Palace. So um he's supposed to leave at the end of the season. Uh if Palace stay up, uh be interested to see what they do. He is being Palace's best player this season, uh, even better than Eze. Uh most man of the match, five goals, uh one assist, 
it's not Lightning, but but Palace are not a you know great team to be fair. Yeah. Um, you know, can play on the left or right. He was a United fan growing up. Um, you know, it's French. Um, so, um, what do you think of Elise? I think he's a fantastic player. Um, I've highlighted him a few times in some of my own videos some months back. I know he's someone that's been on United's radar for quite a long time. Uh, he's a right winger. He's ready made. You know, when you talk about the policy of maybe not the policy, but the implication that was reported from uh, from a good reporter, Semi Mockbell in London, about Ineos wanting to get some players with Premier League experience. We talked about that because it makes the transition a little easier. Um, <clears throat> not all players, but some. He's a player, I think, who would come in right away and be successful and put that spot down. Uh, he has all the tools, all the talent. I think he's a fantastic player. I would love to see him come in, I think, you know, if you had the options of of him, Rashford, Garnacho on the wings, you have three players that have all proven they can contribute at a high level in the Premier League uh, and beat you in, in many different ways. He's a, you know, I, I, I really like him. I, that's all I can say about it. I've, I've, watched, I've watched a fair bit of him. I really like him. I think he'd be easily my top choice for, for who they bring in as a forward this summer. And, uh, he had a release clause about 35 million a couple a few years ago. He did a new deal, signed, and it's somewhere around 50 million now. It's it's about as bargain as you can get to buy a player with that kind of fee uh, from from England, who is a proven player. You know, comparables. You have a guy like uh, you know Neto at Wolves, but he's had major injury issues, and so Olise has two to be fair, but it's been a bit more recent for for Neto, who's had a big, big injury this season. And you want to see how he returns from that, and what happens. He's also been a player of interest, but yeah, but uh, but but uh, but young Elise would be at the top of my list. His his brothers at Chelsea, if I'm not mistaken, um, and uh, that's the other option. Chelsea, don't even, were... Chelsea probably don't even know that themselves. <laughs> right on this, but yeah, that's the other option. But I I feel like there's a lot of indications. I've heard a lot about his personality. He's a uh, He's a bit of a character, from what I understand. It's like he's a very um, ambitious person. He's a very ambitious person. He thinks very highly of himself. I think a lot of times you have to to be successful at this level. Uh, and I think he'd be he would love the challenge of uh, playing for Manchester United, right? Personally. Yeah, and there's players in that price range you can get a good value. I pointed a job yeah. had at the weekend that I thought you know really really good signing for Brighton. Um, lastly. A uh, young gank midfielder, Bilal Alkanas. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. My apologies if I've done that wrong. A uh, 19-year-old Belgian kid had a contract till 2027. Four goals, 10 assists. He's a young player that lots of players, lots of clubs around Europe uh, are watching. And uh, he would fit the profile of what United are looking for this summer. Yeah, I can't say I know much about him. I know that, you know, uh, Arthur Vermeerin, who's just signed for Barcelona, or Atletico, right? Uh was a player that uh, United have watched before. And uh, I, I think it would be really smart to pick up a, a player like like that. Um, you know, with, with the age, you look in the midfield, McTominay's... Yeah, especially looking at a bit of Ericsson and stuff where you yeah. know, fill some of those positions out with some young legs that are willing to sit in the bench that they can grow into positions as well as obviously... Exactly. You know, obviously exactly. Mount, you know, so... Um, because they've still got to find a solution to Mount and a couple of other yep. players. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, he's a good young midfielder. I think you know, they have enormous amount of decisions to make yeah. this summer. You've got the Rafael Varane situation. You've got the Casemiro yep. situation. You've got the frontline situation. You know, uh, Juan Bissaka, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, I think they do need a right back. So you're talking about a centre back. You're talking about a right back. Um, you're going to have to rejig that midfield in my opinion and you have to address the forward line so um there's a lot, lot to do you need to do this summer which is another reason why i feel that with ten hog the rope yeah. will be shorter because yeah. the work that needs to get done this summer is not going to start in may that's no. going to start yeah. once this deal gets approved in february yeah then you'll start to see the whole structure fall in place of, um, you know, the, the director of football, you know, the, the, the technical, all the stuff is still going to start taking shape. And then, of course, how United recruit will change dramatically, um, hopefully a lot more expeditiously. And 
um, with uh, a lot better information. One other quick story that made the headlines yeah. sort of got lost over the weekend was uh, Iglo Tari, uh, who um, said that the former Lazio director um, said that Manchester United had failed with a bid previously for uh, Malinkovic Savage in the price mm. range of 85 million. Yeah. Um, uh, what, what, I would have loved to have seen United uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's interesting. He was a player that every single year he was linked with him. And every year I heard, this is a real link, but it just never happened, you know? Uh, he was somebody they thought that could replace Paul Pogba pretty... I have good information on him around 2018-19, somewhere yeah. around seriously pursuing yeah. him heavily. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he would have been a good replacement for Pogba. He has a lot of similar traits in some ways. He's a big, big individual, big player. Uh, I would have liked to see him. You know, he never really got a move. You know, he never got that move to somewhere else. And um, it's just a, he's an interesting player. I would have really liked to see play for United. I think he could have mm -hmm. done a lot. Um, he could have been a. He I mean, could have been fun to watch. But uh, you know, it's really interesting because there are a lot of times where United have made moves for players like that that somehow just doesn't ever really get reported on concretely that they've actually like made an offer, made a move for a player and goes under the radar. Uh, and, uh, and so don't be surprised. I would say, you know, with, with Ineos that we might be see a little bit more of that similar to the Barada appointment where mm -hmm. something just comes out of nowhere, including the director, you know, there's, there's people, there's names, there's people, people may not be thinking of there's guys like, you know, uh, Rui Braz, the Benfica director, who's apparently going to take, he's has going somewhere at the end of the season as a, he's a director in Portugal. And, um, you know, who knows? There's probably a lot of names that could come out of the blue in terms of these positions and, and things like that, that go well, under the radar. You see the Bilal Alcanaz thing. So that has Man City written all over it. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if you look at, one of the first things that Peter Kenyon did when he needed to put him on garden and leave, goes to Chelsea, is he hijacked the Aaron Robin yeah. move, right? right? And so there'll be a lot of that where City have an exceptional wealth of knowledge on exceptional young players at that level all across the world, where now you're going to see United being linked more and more because you're going to have to be far more intelligent with how they buy. You know, so um, I think that sends like that they'll have a mix between players with Premier League experience and that's pretty much what Ratcliffe was doing at Nice was you know yes experienced players mixed with young players um I think that uh with United you're going to see uh they'll be much more active in the South American market uh the likes of the Echeveris they'll be you know will be much more active on that with having the advantage of the multi-club model with France and, and Lausanne and um you know, I think yeah, that uh, these are the types of things we will see more and more of. So um, I'm um, looking forward to seeing how that develops. Anything else before we go, Matt? No, I think that's it for now. We're obviously going to see what uh, what happens, you know, in the next few days. We'll see what the outcome of some of the Rashford stuff is and how it leads into the Wolves games. And I think uh, there's a vote um, with regards to this whole process, which is happening uh start of next week um monday right a week from today so you know i think shortly following that it's expected that we will have the premier league ratification i don't think it can be ratified until it's approved in the new york stock exchange otherwise it wouldn't really be an official deal at that point in time so i think we'll see that pretty soon uh following that and then you know i think there'll be quite a bit more noise and things to talk about at that time once you know from a more official standpoint any else can get their uh Get their hands in on things. I don't think we'll have a quiet week between now and the foreseeable future at Manchester. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> something other we meant to touch on that you mentioned it on this podcast last week was United did let go one of their physios yes. Yes. that you had touched on that got confirmed um, a couple of days. And I have later. a name of a new one, but I'm bang waiting on for the Yeah, What's that? Bang on the money again with your inside yeah. info. Your, yeah. your, um, your uh that that buggy place in Manchester, you know. Is, uh, <laughs> no, don't say that. They got oh, hacked sorry, some years sorry, ago. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Where's the other? No, no. Um, it's um, um, 
once again, you were on the money, my friend. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, you can see that, you know, United making major, major changes. What I would be interested to hear on that is that I would assume that that met with Eric Ten Hag's approval, that mm. he was consulted on that. Um, I'm sure it was in Ten Hag's interest to not blame his own methods. I'm not saying it is his methods, but um, it's interesting. I, I would be surprised if they did that with their Ten Hag's um, approval. Yeah, I mean, what I will say is, is Gary O'Driscoll has been given a big, big remit on changes. Okay, so maybe it was Hibbs' decision yeah. then. Yeah, very specific. So, I imagine he spoke to Ten Hag about it and the players about it. I'm saying, sure oh, it's, there's dialogue and, and part of the his assessments of it and saying, look, yeah, this is this whatever reason, this is not the right guy. Let's get somebody mm -hmm. else for this job. And uh whatever the reason. And I think the difference is with Ineos because they cannot be given credit for making this decision. They weren't the ones who made this decision. Of but people being allowed to make decisions is uh is gonna be a, is is it's a change. I mean, that is a change. People being allowed to make decisions at United who should be allowed to make those decisions is a change. James, the way United have acted since pretty much Christmas Day has been yeah. completely unrecognizable. The high Manchester United have ever acted in yes. 20 years, 18, 19 years of Glazer ownership. So clearly, Ineos are already deeply affected in the direction and the decisions that United are taking. So um, that's more of that to come. I don't want to see anyone yeah. lose their job, but yeah. you know, it is, you know, they do need to make these changes. All right, folks, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, follow my friend here, uh, uh, Muppeteers, and uh, fantastic content outside of this podcast. If you're on the BTP side listening to this, make sure you are subscribing to his YouTube channel, to James's YouTube channel, downloading his other stuff, being part of the Discord and what have you. There's lots of other exceptional information that this man uh, gets right and has, uh, does tremendous work in making sure it's accurate. Um, for those of you who are on the Muppeteer side, if you want to listen to more of my content and you can get past my funny accent, <laughs> um, <laughs> there, uh, I had a people interview on Thursday, which has um, been quite interesting. I did speak with Andy Mitten today. It's going to be part of a series called We Are United podcast, and it's going to be comprised of different interviews of different fans all across the world. Uh, they have amazing stories from Manchester to Transcend, cultural divides, religious divides, uh, conflicts, and we all unify under one identity of being a Manchester United fan. There's so many incredible stories out there that aren't being told that I'm excited to tell. Not every one of these interviews is going to be with high-end people that have big prominent platforms because um, United Diaspora consists of lots of different people that don't have big platforms that I want to hear from. If you have someone that you think I should be speaking to that has an incredible story uh, related to Manchester United, uh, please email me beyondthepitch at gmail.com and let me know. So uh, I'll also have this man on at some point to talk about his love of Manchester United and how it evolved. So um, thanks to all of you for all your support and uh, don't forget to support our fanzines, folks, because they are for us, uh, written by fans, for fans, and the content is exceptional. So. Um, all right, man. Take it easy, James. Yes, you too. Thank you, everybody. See you, pal.